Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Good morning. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen here on Faith Radio and the Faith Radio Network. Thank you for um, sharing this time today. So the text line is open. Love to hear from you. 877-933-2484. Gay has has texted in and said, hey, I think it's time for a good news nature story this morning. So Gay says this. I had this beautiful, all caps, pheasant in my backyard last week. And now I just want to tell you the story. Um, So the pheasant appears to Gay to maybe be lost or injured. Gay lives in the middle of town. And so what's a pheasant doing in the middle of town? And why is he by himself? And, you know, all of these things. He is gorgeous. She texted in a picture as well. And so, uh, so Apparently, um, you know, Gay is concerned, tries to uh, call the Department of Natural Resources, and after listening (laughs) over and over and over again to all of the recorded messages, um, realizes that is going to be a futile effort. And so um, a little while later, um, Gay's 12-year-old deaf Cavalier King Charles Spaniel, who goes by the name Mosley, started chasing the pheasant. And so then Gay, who, by the way, is of an age and has two bad knees, started chasing Mosley. And so now I am envisioning the pheasant chased by the deaf 12-year-old dog, chased by the, you know, wonderful listener to this program who has notably two bad knees and couldn't keep up going round and round and round with the pheasant squawking and the dog barking. And I'm just wishing that we had a video. That's it. That's all I'm wishing right now is that we had a video. Um, Eventually, the uh, pheasant flew over the fence, and there you go. That's what I have for you this morning. Um, And yes, Gay, God is good and is extraordinarily creative in his ways. And that pheasant is beautiful. Thank you for the picture you texted in and for the story as well. See, there you go. Text me anything. We delight in community with one another. Um, Again, the number is 877-933-2484. So what I had planned to talk about here at the uh, open of the hour is uh, warning signs and whether or not we heed the warning signs. And so I just want you to ask yourself just for a moment, um, you know, if you're staying in a hotel and you hear the fire alarm go off in the middle of the night, do you, do you promptly get up and evacuate or do you ignore it? Mm-hmm. How about a um, a tornado siren? If you look around and it seems like an utterly, you know, clear day or relatively clear, you know, certainly doesn't look tornadic. Um, do you ignore tornado sirens? Mm-hmm. So there's all kinds of testimonies um, from survivors about, you know, being so thankful that they heeded a warning and, you know, went into the cellar or heeded a warning and evacuated from the coastline. Um, And we have these wonderfully predictive methods and technologies that give us all kinds of advanced warning now prior to the arrival of natural disasters. But we then have a lot of people who don't heed the warnings Um, and they don't have testimonies because they have obituaries. 
And so I just want to um, encourage us today to consider the warnings that were given in Scripture. Jesus says of those of us uh, who might be good at predicting the weather, but not good at reading the signs of the times in which we live, this is from Matthew chapter 16, you know, when it's evening, you say, hey, it's going to be fair weather for the sky is red, and in the morning, well, it's going to be foul weather for the sky is red and threatening, you hypocrites. You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times in which you live. So, what's coming? What's coming, and can we discern the signs of the times, the warning signs that Jesus has laid out for us? I offer up Matthew chapter 24. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen. The end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and these are the beginnings, yet the beginnings of birth pains. Then you... He's talking there to his followers, to you and me today. You will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You'll be hated by all nations because of me. And at that time, many will turn away from the faith. We call it deconstruction. And betray and hate each other. Many false prophets. Some of you are referring on the text line this morning to um, people who are considering themselves modern prophets. Yep, Jesus talks about them. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Let those who have ears hear. Bill English is going to join us next from BibleandBusiness.com. I'm going to straight up ask him um, how inflation is going to affect the upcoming holidays um, and whether or not he would take a middle seat in an, in an airline if there were um, the chance of, you know, getting a big reward for that. Mm-hmm. Also, why is the Fed raising interest rates again? All of that up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. Bill English is back from BibleandBusiness.com. Good morning, sir. Well, good morning, Carmen. How's, how is Carmen today? I'm good. Nobody wants to sit in the middle seat. Nobody. No, nobody, nobody wants to does. Sit in the middle seat. I know. Less nobody. Even people 1%. traveling together. Even people traveling yeah. together. They want the window in the aisle. You yeah. end up with the person sitting between them. They're like passing their snacks across to each other. You know, nobody wants to sit in the middle seat. What's up with that? You know, I I just wonder if we could have people text in. If you and your husband or you and your wife are flying somewhere, who gets the aisle, who gets the middle, or who gets the window and who gets the middle? That would be an interesting little... This is like totally when I want to confess. Like, I mean, of course I would sit next to my husband, and I do, but my preference would would be to not sit next to him because he's a terrible, terrible, terrible airline passenger. He's a little bit claustrophobic. Oh gosh, he's like an agitated mess and he's a little bit claustrophobic. And yeah, it's, yeah. Nobody wants, this could be a segment on nobody wants the middle seat and really nobody wants to sit next to Jim. That, but you know, that's probably a different, <laughs> different, that's a therapy conversation. So yeah. 
So this yeah. airline came came up with a way to entice more passengers to sit in the middle seat. This is kind of a fun story. So what what are they? Yeah, doing? it is. Yeah. So what, look, less than one percent of the people like to sit in the middle seat. So this is Virgin Australia. Uh, Australia. They're having a weekly drawing uh, for people who sit in the middle seats on all their flights. One person every week is going to be awarded something just for having sat in the middle seat. They've put, uh, they've uh, carved out one hundred forty-five thousand dollars total worth of of prizes over, I think, a, a ten or twelve week period. And uh, these prizes are everything from free uh, free flights to, uh, believe it or not, a, a helicopter pub crawl with a bungee jump. So I guess you're going to get in a helicopter and go from pub to pub to pub, and then That's jump ridiculous. on a bungee cord. That sounds a little <laughs> dangerous to me. <laughs> Uh, and 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 they're even this week they're giving away a frequent flyer, the top tier frequent flyer status for one year plus. Which means you never have miles. to ride in. You never have to ride in a million uh, a middle seat again. If you end up with that status, you never have to sit in a middle seat. Well, for that year, mm-hmm. yes, I was, mm-hmm. I was, I don't know whatever it was platinum with with Delta Northwest for uh, over ten years, and I I can count in a ten year period the number of times on one hand that I sat. And back, I was always up front because I got upgraded mm. all the time, right? Exactly, so, exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, no. There are no middle seats in first class, by the way. Just as a no, yeah. there's not. <clears throat> no. Oh, no. here we go. The texts are rolling in. Yes, and everybody is basically saying the same thing. If I'm traveling with my spouse, we um, we both have an aisle, so we sit on the aisle seats across from each other. That's actually that's oh, a way to sit together and yet apart. That's how they're doing it. Yep. Yeah, that's okay. pretty much everybody's answer to the question. My husband and I both aisle seats across from each other. Katie, same thing. Uh, she lets her husband have the aisle because he's so tall. So, Katie, now you can take this advice, get the other aisle seat, and then you're still sitting next to each other, but not in the middle seat. Mm-hmm. There you yeah. Go. Very, uh, very Yeah, we true. have smart listeners. All right. So, we are going to take a very, very brief break. When we come back, um, we are going to talk with Bill English about uh, it, how inflation is going to affect the holidays. Let me lead off with this. Apparently, apparently, there is going to be a shortage of big birds this Thanksgiving because of the um, avian flu outbreak. And so the 20-pound turkey is going to be in short supply. Tough to find a 20-pound turkey or bigger this Thanksgiving because the ones we're going to eat are being raised right now, and they won't have enough time to get to 20 pounds. But there'll be enough turkeys. They're just not going to be huge. All right, we're going to talk about inflation and its effects on the holidays next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Come on and rise up, take a breath, you're alive now. Can't you hear the voice of Jesus calling? Continuing our conversation with Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. Um, Bill, let's talk about inflation and how we anticipate it's going to affect the holidays. 
Well, uh, what they're saying, this is a Wells Fargo report that you and I are talking about. And what they're saying in that report is that overall, grocery prices are up 15% overall. Uh, turkeys, by the way, because of the shortage and other reasons, they're up 23%. So, uh, by the way, off air, Paul Paul Perot suggested that we just have two turkeys instead of one big 20-pounder, just get two 10s. And uh, that that might be a way to handle that. I suggested that you get a ten pounder for the aisle seat and a ten pounder for the middle seat, <laughs> and don't don't give anything to somebody by the window. So uh, dining is up. <clears throat> here's 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 an idea here for for Thanksgiving. Go out for dinner because dining costs dining out is only up six percent, and your groceries are up fifteen percent. So you might actually save money this year by having thanksgiving dinner out so go to you know your favorite restaurant that might be open and and uh and see if you can uh, have thanksgiving dinner that way uh i might my only other thought there on this one carmen is just make sure you're back in time for the vikings patriots game at 7 20 <laughs> central time on thanksgiving day because that's that's going to be one of the few times you see the vikings defeat the patriots so because someone is going to eat someone else's lunch that day. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, your, your quip was better than mine. So no, it's all good. It's all good. So um, I am hosting uh, Thanksgiving on Wednesday and on Thursday for two different, like, you know, I would love to say that I can accommodate everybody at one time, but I can't. So I have 19 people coming on Thanksgiving day and I have like, I don't know, nearly a dozen coming the day before that. So we're doing two different Thanksgiving days, two different Thanksgiving meals. I'm actually doing like traditional Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving stuff on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, that crew is going to have brisket because I think I'm going to be tired of turkey. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Something a little bit different. All right. Well, I um, totally get it. Um, can you explain to me uh, why the Fed is going to raise interest rates again? I, I, I People are already like completely choked out of the housing market and people who want to buy a house now can't. So why would the Fed be raising interest rates again? Like what is going on? Well, what they're trying to do is to lower demand for high ticket prices in order to bring pricing down. And that is how they are defining a reduction in inflation is by bringing pricing down. So you raise interest rates to increase the cost of borrowing so that a person who is borrowing, usually when they're buying something of a big ticket, they buy based on the monthly payment, not on the price of the item that they're buying. And so if if you raise or if you increase the cost of borrowing, then the person can afford less and therefore pricing in theory is supposed to come down. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to drain some of the uh, some they're, they're trying to pull the pricing down by pushing the interest rates up. That's. Now look, that's not what I would do. Um, look, this 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 betrays a couple of things. First of all, it, it betrays the uh, acceptance that most Americans buy most things on credit rather than through cash. And if you were to buy on cash, then the interest rate piece doesn't bother you. Um, secondly, because of the free flood of money. That we've had over the last really since the pandemic started it's like six or seven trillion dollars pumped into our economy um we we have 
enjoyed artificially low rates really since the uh, recession of 2007 and 8 those rates have been artificially low and have created i think uh, distortions in the market which need not be there normal interest rates for a home should not be two or three percent normal interest rates should be in the five to seven maybe eight percent range and so uh, I think we're in some ways, we're just getting back to some normalcy. People's expectations have been conditioned with this free money and these low rates. I think reality is, is starting to set back in. Mm-hmm. Okay. Lots of, um, lots more input, Bill, in terms of where people are sitting on the airplane um, in relationship to their spouse <laughs> in particular. Yeah. So um, there, we, we apparently have a lot of women listening who are married to men who um, take up more than their fair share of a seat. And so um, particularly when their husband is tall, they're saying, oh, I, he always gets the aisle, so I make the sacrifice. I always, uh, I always take the middle seat. But in, in every case so far where people have said that, they have also said that um, they do that out of a courtesy for other people because their husband takes up more than their seat. And, um, yeah, mm-hmm. the lap over... The he's in, in the word encroaching has been used. Mm-hmm. One person yeah. uh, likes to see the outside, and so uh, wants the window seat. There you go. Only yeah, one, you only know, one window seat person so far. Everybody else wants the aisle. Uh, you know, I was usually a window person myself, um, and I have stories that if I started to tell them on air, I probably would offend somebody. But I've got some funny stories off air. I should tell you sometime coming. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, if people connect with you at bibleandbusiness.com, what can they uh, what can they find these days? What's going on over there? You know, uh, they can really most of my new production of content has been over at my YouTube channel. Oh, cool! And can they and get so, there from your website? Yes, they can. And I'm teaching mm-hmm. my way through my book, A Christian Theology of Business Ownership, and I'm in chapter five now. And I release the videos, one video a week at 9 a.m. on Saturdays. Uh, But I've also got some, uh, we're also building out a a library of profiles and stewardship where I'm talking to uh, uh, business owners about how they integrate their faith into their role as an owner. And I've got four or five uh, business owners I'm talking to right now to do future uh, uh, videos with. But really, most of the content creation is over there. It's not at bibleandbusiness.com. It's at, my, it's at the Bible and Business YouTube channel. Fantastic. I love that. I love that. Yeah. All right. Um, in the spirit of directly helping one another, um, I, want to, uh, I want to read this from a listener in Hartford, Connecticut. So, Bill, just hang out here for a minute because okay. you'll appreciate this. So okay. the, street, the street church in Hartford, Connecticut is doing a winter coat drive, and we have a listener who has committed to collecting 70 coats, and so far they have eight. So here you go. We need some help. Um, and so if you're in the Hartford listening area in Connecticut, they're going to be handing these church or uh, handing these coats out at street church on, um, November the 19th. So, um, we, we need them collected so you can, um, you can, yeah, I don't know. Should I just give Joy's phone number out over the air? That seems a little crazy. How about this? If you are in Hartford, Connecticut and you want to be connected directly, um, with another listener who is participating in this, text me at 877-933-2484 and I will connect you, 
um, with with joy and you can uh, get together and you can help meet the need in Hartford, Connecticut for um, people who need a winter coat. So it's the Street Church Winter Coat Drive. And now we want to help listener Joy um, collect the 70 coats uh, committed to here. So there you go. Text me at 877-933-2484 and I'll connect you. Uh, I'll connect you with each other. Hey, Bill, um, as always, because, you know, this is a community, so we got to help each other out. Um, well, as course. always, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate well, it. Well, thank you for having me. I, it's always a privilege to come on the air with you. Total joy. All right, we're going to uh, take a moment for Breakpoint with John Stone Street. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. One quick headline here before we um, have a conversation with Dan Murata about liturgy in the wilderness, how we actually pray the Lord's Prayer today and how it shapes the imagination of the church in a secular age. So that conversation is coming up in just a moment. One quick headline here internationally, um, Israel uh, has held its fifth national election in just four years. So, I mean, you know, you think you're tired of campaign ads. I can only imagine. But they've held their fifth election in um, in just four years. And former Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is on uh, is on pace for victory in uh, in the nation's general election there. So projections are giving um, Netanyahu a slim majority of seats over the center left opponents that are led by the current prime minister. Yar Lapid. Um, and so if this um, if this actually result comes to pass, it's going to, I think, mark a pretty dramatic comeback for um, Benjamin Netanyahu. He has served for 12 straight years as Israel's prime minister until last year when um, he lost the majority in um, in their parliament. It's called the Knesset and there's 120 seats. And so anyway, there you go. It's going to be pretty evenly split, like 61 to 62. Um, but you know, 61 or 62 is enough uh, in terms of a majority in the same way that 51 or 52, you know, is a majority in the U.S. Senate. It's another way to think about it. All right. So that's going on um, in Israel today. DJ or Dan Murata is the author of Liturgy in the Wilderness. He's going to join us next. We're going to talk about the Lord's Prayer. Are you praying the Lord's Prayer? How are you praying the Lord's Prayer? And how does it shape the imagination of the church in a secular age? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, joining us now, uh, Dan DJ Morata. He is a uh, a priest in the Anglican Church North America. He's the founding rector of Redeemer Anglican Church in Richmond, Virginia, which you might think of as a church planter. Um, Dan, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Glad to be here. All right. All right. So for people who don't know um, what an Anglican is and don't know what the Anglican Church of North America is, can you brief us in on that? Sure thing. Uh, and the first thing I'll say is that I, I did not grow up in this tradition. I was raised in a, in a Presbyterian church. I came to faith through uh, the ministry called Young Life um, as a high school student. I have bounced around to Pentecostal uh, churches and was part of a kind of like a Reformed Baptist Acts 29 church uh, for a number of years, and then landed in this thing called the Anglican Communion, 
which um, is the uh, largest Protestant denomination in the world. There's roughly 80 to 90 million Anglican uh, followers of Jesus globally. And the, the uh, denomination stretches all the way back to the Protestant Reformation in England. And then with, with deep roots beyond that into the Roman Catholic Church and beyond all the way back to the Book of Acts and the Hebrew people. Okay, so if we wandered in, if we were in Richmond, Virginia, and we wandered in to worship at um, at Redeemer, um, what would we experience? What would our experience of worship be? <laughs> um, I I hope and trust that you would be greeted by kind and warm and welcoming people. Um, our worship service is liturgical, um, uh, and so there's a procession where we carry the cross into the service. Um, there's an opening acclamation. Because we follow the word, because we're going to follow the word in, right? That's, That's part right. of what's going yeah, on Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Christ mm-hmm. goes before us in all things. There's no place we can that. go that he hasn't already gone before us, and, and we can only come to the Father in worship through Jesus. And so what you'd encounter is a lot of symbolism. And one of the things that I, I find um, kind of a, a really fun and interesting challenge is helping new people understand that all of their senses can be involved in a worship service. There's it's not just words. There's also things to do with your body. There's standing and sitting and kneeling and maybe even making the sign of the cross over yourself. And then there's eating when you come to the, the, to the Lord's Supper. Um, so my hope is that all of your senses would be engaged and that you would experience a rehearsing of the gospel story over and over again in the liturgy. And I wanted you to share all of that in part because I do think there's a curiosity among people as, you know, uh, we are exposed to an increasing diversity of denominations. And certainly as the Anglican communion grows in its expression in the United States, um, uh, people, you know, they see the word or they hear about it and they're, they don't, they don't necessarily know. And so part of it is I'm trying to like, you know, <laughs> demystify it. And, you know, <laughs> sure it right. But, but the other thing is yeah. the, you use the word liturgy, right? on the title of the book. Mm. And so part of my motivation is to get you to talk, which you just did, right? It's a, it's a liturgical experience. Um, there is this rhythm of what we are what we are doing in worship. Um, this is the words of the people. This is what we are offering. And so when we think about the Lord's Prayer and we approach this conversation about the Lord's Prayer um, in your book, Liturgy in the Wilderness, um, that's a part of what's going on here, Right. Yes, ma'am. And and I would uh, want every listener to understand that all human beings are uh, what we might call liturgical creatures, meaning that we are creatures of habit and our habits form and shape our affections and our desires and our loves. And and therefore, there's no such thing as a as a human being who's not liturgical. And, And there's certainly no such thing as a follower of Jesus who's not liturgical. We just tend to have very different kinds of liturgies. And and one of the things that we get into in the book is that not all of those liturgies are healthy or helpful when it comes to growing and maturing as a follower of Christ. Um, All right. So let me just go ahead and tell you that Foley Beach is one of my favorite people in the world. So um, so, yeah. So uh, yeah. And and you and I have uh, similar um, experiences in terms of our background. I am also uh, formerly a Presbyterian and also a person who came to faith through Young Life. So there you go. We could have endless conversations about all of that. Let's talk (laughs) about 
Let's talk about the Lord's Prayer. Again, the book is Liturgy in the Wilderness. Um, DJ Murata uh, is the author. Um, when we talk about the Lord's Prayer um, shaping the imagination of the church in a secular age, part of what it feels like you're doing is um, helping us understand the context in which we live. We don't live in the Garden of Eden. Like, that is not where we live. We also do not yet live in um, the fullness of the kingdom of heaven. Um, we live in a wilderness in between. Can you can you help us understand that? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I would confess it has, it has taken me ver- a very long time to wrap my mind around this and, and probably even longer for me to emotionally accept it. And so if there's any listeners who hear this and think, I don't like that, or I don't want that to be true. I would just say, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. Uh, so the idea is that the wilderness is what we might say uh, paradigmatic for a Christian meeting. It's the defining paradigm. It is the context in which we follow Jesus. And you can look back to the Old Testament. The people of Israel are brought out of slavery in Egypt. Um, they are introduced to God's law, how to be a people together under God and with each other. And then they spend 40 years in the wilderness learning to be obedient to God before they cross the Jordan River and, and enter into the promised land. And that that story arc maps onto the story arc of a follower of Jesus today. Um, you are united to Christ by faith and in baptism. Then you learn how to follow Jesus, how to orient your life around him. Um, but you're not yet in the promised land. And so wh- what does that make our context? Well, it makes it a wilderness context. And that's why life feels so hard. It's why following Christ is not an easy thing. <laughs> it's why uh, life today for many folks is, is not an easy thing. And the current shape of our wilderness, I, I would contend, is secularism. It hasn't always been true. There are lots of different kinds or flavors or you know experiences of wilderness that the people of God have had over the centuries and the millennium. But our, our current cultural moment, you might say, is defined by secularism. And so that's the context in which we must become followers of Christ now. So we're going to live in the wilderness. I mean, in, in this life, we're going to live in the wilderness. I mean, until Jesus comes again uh, and his kingdom is fully instituted on earth as it is in heaven, which we're praying in the Lord's Prayer. And so that leads us into this conversation about what we're doing in the wilderness, the function of prayer in the wilderness, and then specifically the function of the Lord's Prayer um, as a pattern or a habit developed by God's people in the wilderness. So can you tie some of those things together for us? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think one of the greatest challenges of, of living as a follower of Jesus in a secular age is what we might call a diminished imagination, meaning that mm. secularism kind of slaps like a roof and a floor over top of you. There's nothing above you in heaven. There's nothing below you in hell. You just have the, what you know. Uh, philosopher Charles Taylor would call the imminent frame. You just have what you've got in front of you right now. And, and that means that the kind of imagination that ought to be shaping your faith and your hope and your love and your desire and your relationships, both with God and with other people and with yourself and with the world, all of those things are diminished. And so what the average follower of Jesus in a secular age needs is an enriched and expanded and really enlivened imagination. And for imagination work, there's there's really no better starting place, or you might say kindling, than prayer. And the starting place for prayer is the Lord's Prayer. I mean, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus doesn't say, hey, go into a room, close your eyes and say the first thing that comes to your mind. Instead, he says, when you pray, 
pray like this. And then he gives them the Lord's Prayer. That's the starting place for the disciples. And I would say that's the starting place for us as well. Yeah, and for those of you who are listening and you're saying to yourself, okay, what, what is this like banded reality he's talking about where secularism, you know, only happens in this in this one frame? Um, that's the difference between naturalism and this view that, you know, this is all there is. There is nothing uh, beyond what, uh, you know, what your senses are going to lead you to experience and a supernatural worldview, which is, you know, that we are living uh, now um, in a context that is much bigger than the one that we can see in front of us. Um, and so this is, we're talking about worldview. We're talking about the way we um, live in the midst of a secular society and a secular culture, but we do so as people who recognize we're citizens of another kingdom um, and subjects of another king, even ambassadors of that king and that kingdom. So what does that look like to be um, praying the Lord's Prayer um, as really a, a subversive act in the midst of a culture that um, that doesn't understand the Father and doesn't understand the kingdom and doesn't understand what it means to live um, you know, as brothers and sisters in Christ in the world today. We're going to continue our conversation with uh, Pastor DJ Murata. He is the author of Liturgy in the Wilderness. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen, and we'll be right back. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show featured on the Faith Radio Network. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share at MyFaithRadio.com. My guess is you spend a fair amount of time on social media. So where do you spend your time? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube? Well, have you followed or liked Faith Radio on those platforms? I would invite you to do so. I'm there as well. If you want to check out uh, my personal pages, you could connect with me individually. We would love to have you uh, use the resources that we have produced and are creating and posting on social media for you to share with others. We got all kinds of stuff from graphics to, you know, Bible verses. I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff. Go check it out on your social media. Connect with us on Faith Radio social media. And, you know, let's get the word out to others. All right. Back to the show. Again, thanks for listening. Love connecting with you at MyFaithRadio.com. Continuing our conversation with DJ Murata, you can connect with him directly on his website, DJ Murata, M-A-R-O-T-T-A dot com. Um, Dan uh, is the book of, or the author of the book, Liturgy in the Wilderness. Um, Dan, we have people making observations on our text line. Um, Rosella, who uh, wanted you to hear this joke. Maybe you have heard this from your sound, or you have said to your sound guy at your church, well, there's something wrong with this mic and to which the congregation responded, and also with you. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> I know. There you go. Somebody showed up with an Anglican joke. So there you go. Come I on. appreciate that. Right? That's right? Um, and, then, um, and then I think this, um, this, uh, this very true and sweet observation here um, about uh, liturgy and worshiping uh, in the context of a community of believers and how uh, the, the rhythm of liturgy, this expectation of following the same pattern um, every time you gather for worship at particular uh, times of the day and particular days of the week or seasons and feasts and those kinds of things. Um, here's the question, and then I think it's an answer unto itself. Um, I'm, I'm suspecting this builds, this is a listener saying, uh, I'm suspecting this builds a sense of community, the communalness 
of the Christ followers who um, who gather in this type of worshiping community. I think that's right. I think that's true. Absolutely. Yes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Gosh, absolutely. And and I would I would say every church knows this whether whether they articulate it or not. I mean, every every congregation, no matter what you know denomination or you know where where they fall on the theological spectrum you know it's the practices they do together the songs they sing the you know the not only the sermons they listen to but like the kinds of books they tend to read or not read and um and the sort of things they do together um whether those are a formal liturgy that has been inherited and passed down through the centuries or something new that they've sort of like invented or you know kind of made up together it's those practices that bind a community of people together you're going to use the word practices here. We could also, or we might also use the word habits. Um, we would mm. also think of this as, you know, precisely how the Lord's Prayer is is offered. I mean, it's offered in answer to um, the desire to be taught. You know, Lord, teach us how to pray. Um, so the Lord's mm. Prayer is offered, um, you know, in that way. Um, talk with us about the Lord's Prayer as a habit um, in the wilderness, and this prayer as a keystone habit. Mm-hmm. So, I think we probably have to do just a little bit of what we might call biblical anthropology, which is a really fancy way of saying how how does the Bible describe human beings? How do human beings work? And earlier in the show, Carmen, you used the word subversive, and I love that you use that because I, I am convinced that the Lord's Prayer subversively works on us, meaning that it it kind of sneaks up on you from the side. Uh, praying the Lord's Prayer is different from studying you know, systematic theology or, or doctrine. Those things are good and we should do them, um, but they have a different effect on us than something subversive like praying the Lord's Prayer. And by subversive, I mean, when you first start praying the Lord's Prayer, you tend to underestimate it. It's short, it's relatively simple. And most Christians, if you ask them, do you believe the words of the Lord's Prayer? They would say, well, sure, of course. But then once you start really getting into it, you go, well, what exactly is this prayer guiding me into? What is it saying? And before you know it, you have discovered that you actually believe something that you <laughs> that you don't believe. <laughs> so meaning, um, let's just take that word, our. So the very first word of the Lord's Prayer is our, our Father. Now, if you just contemplate why are we approaching God with this first word, our? I mean, it's he's not my God. He's not private. Um, he's not your God, somebody borrowed or somebody else's. There's a, there's a sharedness. There's, that word, our, helps us reimagine God as shared. We don't own him. Somebody else doesn't own him. And then you start to think about, well, who else might be saying the word, our, as well? And, and what, might re, what might my relationship with those persons or those people be like? And before you know it, even you're just on the first word and you're starting to realize, oh, this word actually does something to me. It actually picks me up and it puts me into a relationship with other people. And they're not people that I chose. They're people that were chosen for me just by virtue of the fact that I'm praying our and they're praying our as well. Um, And I mean, this, you know, I would say is probably uncomfortable for a lot of people. I mean, it certainly is for me because I realized that you know, we all try so hard to be what we are convinced is the right kind of person. And, and a lot of us try to differentiate ourselves from other people that we think are, are not the right kind of person. But before you know it, we're praying the word our, and I realize, oh my goodness, I'm going to be lumped in with all these other people that I, I think of, of as different from me. And yet 
I am necessarily made into a family relationship with them just by virtue of the liturgy that I am praying in this Lord's Prayer. I think the uh, the praying of thy kingdom come is subversive, particularly in um, the the conversations going on, not only here in our nation, but in other nations around the world in terms of um, mm-hmm, the specific alignment of a, <laughs> of, of, a, of a body politic with a religious expression. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to be a kingdom person first and um, praying mm-hmm. thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven keeps my perspective um, on the king and the kingdom. Um, reminds me that I'm an ambassador thereof. I think that praying not just our father, but the word father itself, right, is mm. is subversive in the culture today for many, many, many people. Um, so I just, I love the way that you have approached this conversation, and I love what you're offering us in this book. I do feel like it is, um, this is a good book for new believers. This is also a really good book for people who have been believers for a really long time, but for whom the Lord's Prayer um uh, has become either just rote repetition or they literally haven't ever thought about it. They haven't ever, mm-hmm. um, you know, like spent time dwelling on the words and their meaning and the images and what happens to us um, when we pray the Lord's Prayer honestly and in, in view of the kingdom um, to come. Mm. I certainly hope so, Carmen. Um, that's that's the, that that is the posture with which I wrote it, and that's the hope that we have for this book. Is that if there are people who are brand new to following Jesus, or, or maybe they haven't taken that step yet, they're interested or curious about potentially following Christ, and then the thought is that th- this book would actually help them kind of get a framework or a sense for what does it mean, what is the actual experience of following the way of the Lord Jesus. But also, if you've maybe been a follower of Christ for, gosh, maybe, you know, 50 or 60 years, that this could still be a book that kind of refreshes and hopefully invigorates somebody's life with Christ through giving them kind of fresh eyes and a fresh understanding of something that they either maybe have overlooked, as you said, or perhaps just gotten bored with. I love it. You guys can visit um, with Dan online. His website is djmarotta.com. You can also get all of the information um, about the book there as well. It is Liturgy in the Wilderness, How the Lord's Prayer Shapes the Imagination of the Church in a Secular Age. Dan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Carmen. Glad Glad to be on. Yeah, what a delight. Hey, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. You got me singing like amen. 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 Hey, let me invite you to um, check out my new website, CarmenLaberge.com. For those of you who want to um, engage in ways other than uh, what we do here um, on the show, invite you to um, to do that. Just 
It's just my name, CarmenLaBurge.com. Also, I am going to be on Bill Arnold's show this afternoon, Afternoons with Bill Arnold at 5 o'clock Central Time. Um, we're, uh, I'm, I'm his guest, and so that should be fun. It's like sort of like role reversal. So um, tune in again at 5 p.m. Central for that conversation as well. Well, I don't even know why you would tune out. Just leave it on all day, and I'll be back at 5 o'clock. How's that sound? Oh, I'm also back in the middle of the day. We do um, we rebroadcast a portion of the show every single day um, during the noon hour. It's called The Daily Reconnect. So there you go. I don't know, all kinds of opportunities if you just haven't had enough yet this morning. I haven't had enough. Um, November the 29th. We're going to have a one-day winter fundraiser, just one day, um, and but you don't have to wait till then. If you're in a position to give and you want to financially support this listener-supported ministry, you can do so today at MyFaithRadio.com um, or by texting the word GIVE to 877-933-2484. I've enjoyed our time together today. It's been rich fellowship. Thank you for all of the engagement on the text line. I'll be praying for you. You be praying for me. And then let's uh, let's get back together right here tomorrow morning for another episode of Mornings with Carmen. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.